Did you know that the price of houses in Canada has doubled in the last decade? And what's that got to do with public transportation? We'll answer those questions on today's episode of Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, and Marco D'Angelo, the CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Association, spoke with me about this housing study and the conference that we were at recently in Edmonton, the CUDA Fall Conference, in an in-person interview we conducted there. This I think you'll find fascinating to see the role of housing in public transportation and the interplay between them on this interview. I also had the opportunity to speak in person with Mike Bismeyer, who you may have heard many times on our podcast over the last couple of years talking about kindness and mentorship. He and I got to speak on that topic together at the CUDA conference in Edmonton, and he shares a few thoughts on the subject and kind of how he got started on this as a young person being bullied at an interview I conducted with him on the trade show floor of the CUDA conference. This is the first of three episodes of Transit Unplugged which were conducted at the CUDA conference. Next week, we'll have Eddie Robar, the deputy city manager of Edmonton, and Kerry Houghton-McDonald, the manager of Edmonton Transit, talking about hydrogen power, their large battery electric bus garage there, and much more. And the following week, we interview Arthur Nicolette, CEO of TransDev Canada, one of the largest contractors there in the nation. Now, it's time for our interview with Marco D'Angelo, talking about the CUDA conference and housing. Great to be at the CUDA conference here in Edmonton, Canada, the Canadian Urban Transit Association, their big conference, and excited to have the CEO with me, my good friend, Marco D'Angelo. Thanks for being back with us. Uh, My pleasure, Paul. Nice to see you. Thanks for making the trip up here. Yeah, awesome. I love, Edmonton's a cool city, right? We've always heard about it. I've always heard about Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky to get here. This is like they said, the most populous city right? Above the highest over a million people latitude wise? Uh, certainly in the north. Yeah, in the northern hemisphere. Northern hemisphere I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of you know, what, where Moscow is on. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I think it's in the western hemisphere. The, the western hemisphere. hemisphere. Yeah, so it's ah, a big city. Okay. Yes. I didn't know what to expect when I got here, but great to be here. You've got a big <laughs> audience here, nice crowd. Yes. Tell us about the conference here, the CUDA conference. Uh, well, it's our annual conference. We, uh, we hold two per year, and this one is uh, special because it also includes a large uh, transit uh, expo and trade show, and that'll yeah. be coming up tomorrow. That's good. And you had a youth summit. Tell us about that. I got to speak at that the other day. It was fun. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, it was our seventh uh, youth summit on sustainable urban transportation, and it was hosted at uh, McEwen University just down the road uh, from us here at the conference. Uh, very happy to bring together 60, 65 youth from across Canada, every region of the country, to learn about uh, about sustainability urban planning, and meeting and networking with professionals and finding out about the careers of tomorrow. In fact, it's the 20th anniversary of the first Youth Summit way back in 2004. I was lucky enough to be uh, helping to organize that. So 20 years later, it's a really great thing to to see a full generation of people that attended that Youth Summit. Our first vice chair at CUDA and the general manager of Halifax Transit, Dave Rigi, he also attended that first uh, Youth Summit. So really, there's a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge and we've really benefited from engaging youth uh, over the last 20 years that's great and we need more young people getting into industry don't we well, we certainly do like uh, like every other industry there's uh, there's there's competing uh, job market we are looking to diversify and build the workforce that we have uh, for public transit and so having transit and the careers that support it be 
a choice for folks that are uh, going through their education and are offering mentorships and apprenticeships and uh, bringing in engineers and training. These are many of the different ways in Canada that we are engaging with young people to invite them and choose transit as a career path for them. Let's talk about CUDA a little bit more. So for those in America, people are familiar with APTA, mm-hmm. and they may not be as familiar with CUDA, but you're very similar organizations, right? You just represent Canada. Yes, very yeah. similar indeed. Yeah. Uh, representing manufacturers, local transit agencies, the businesses that support them, and uh, governments and associations uh, across the country that share similar values to us. So very much like uh, the American Public Transit Association. And what are you working on lately? We've been working on a few things. Uh, we've been working on a, a new housing report uh, that was released last month. And housing affordability is a little bit different than in the United States. Okay. Uh, over the last decade, um, house prices have doubled uh, in Canada. Doubled. Doubled. And so it's a bit different than in the United States where it's been, it has been increasing, uh, but at a more gradual pace. And this has led to quite a bit of inflation in Canada. So as, uh, you know, interest rates have been going up in Canada and the United States, it's risen actually more in Canada to try to, uh, to cool down the economy and cap fast rising home prices. And that's making uh, life less and less affordable for many Canadians. And this is why we think it's really the time to present transit as an answer to helping Canadian families coming out of the pandemic, being able to afford the lifestyle that they need uh, for themselves and their families. Wow, that's awesome. So tell me about, you, you did the study, you came out, what, is, what were the findings? Well, the findings were that we need to activate land. And so what that means is as capital projects are being built across the country, and we're very happy with the progress that we're making in building those, it's also very important that people who need to, to, need to take transit and choose to take transit have affordable housing options that are near these great infrastructures that we're building. Okay. And so ensuring that there is affordability, ensuring that there's percentages of uh, rental units that are being built, densifying around these transit hubs, around the hubs through transit-oriented development, even on top of transit stations. We see that in uh, in leading areas like in Vancouver, certainly has been doing that. Toronto oh, yeah. Kevin is now showed me doing one of those that. when I was there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, where you'd have uh, basically a transit station that, that goes down into a metro, and, and above it would be, you know, an apartment tower or other... Uh, uh, retail infrastructure. And it really, these are what the most dense cities around the world do that have the highest modal shares for transit. Thinking about places like Singapore, where college and university campuses are a station onto themselves. Yes. And it's really a, uh, a, a way to, to move people around, to reduce congestion, to meet the greenhouse gas emissions target that Canada has, and also to provide equity for people that are uh, on modest uh, incomes to participate in their community fully. Right. That makes sense. I thought it was interesting at the morning session this morning, you, uh, Carrie Houghton McDonald, the CEO of the local transit system in Edmonton, interviewed a couple of city council Mm -hmm. people. And one of the guys was talking about how that, you know, our zoning rules and regulations really have a big determining factor on the affordability of housing. We've got to let people build smaller units and so this is kind of what you're talking about, right? Changing policy. It is. And it's been uh, moving across the country. So even uh, another city, the city of Ottawa, on a building lot, you can now build up to four units uh, where that would typically have been a single family neighborhood. Yes. An example in the U.S., of course, is the state of California, okay. um, where zoning has is, is been open more broadly so that mu- it's easier to build multi-residential units on a plot of land. Mm-hmm. Now, you think about Canada. Canada has a lot of land. Yeah, you do. Yeah. We do. And uh, we've got 
good infrastructure that connects it. But where where the rubber hits the road is in providing an affordable lifestyle uh, for Canadians. And that means uh, using the land that we have in our urban communities more effectively, more efficiently. And that helps people to maybe have one car instead of two cars or shortens commutes, more time with with loved ones. Uh, And so these are the things that as ridership has been returning, we're very happy that we were were building these capital projects for tomorrow as well, because we have a country of about 40 million people, but we estimate our transit infrastructure is built for 25 million people. Interesting. All right. What's number two on your list? In terms of uh, our housing uh, report, part of it, we deal with streamlining the approval process. And so that means prioritizing transit-oriented development applications. Oh, yeah. The amount of time it takes to get simple things like a building permit, we've got to bring those times down. And that's something that's within uh, a municipality's jurisdiction in in Canada. And that is uh, presenting the plan, having it reviewed, a notice period. Then there would be a variance type of meeting uh, within the municipality where your neighbors would uh, be able to comment. and, And so these processes, and then in inspection after the fact, it really adds on quite a lot of time. So if you're building something as simple as an in-law suite or building a a small house on an existing property, the the length of time that it takes for those small projects is very long. Now, scale that up to a large project, maybe a tower, replacing uh, four single-family homes, and you're going to build a 30-unit rental housing uh, project. And so that could take uh, up to a year to get those to get those permits, and oh, so we want to wow. streamline that. Yeah, and then also make sure that we've got the folks that do the actual construction, and so that gets back into into the trades. And we we heard today about that uh, we have a shortage in our trades in Canada as well. So there's a number of things that are hindering us to uh, finding uh, a way to provide affordable housing to more Canadians. That's awesome. Keep going. This is really interesting to me. But you don't think about this as the purview of transit agencies, but it really does impact our riders and what they do. So what's the, what's another recommendation from the study? Yeah, I would say that it's evolving the mandate of transit authorities. And let me, uh, an example that uh, is in the report. Uh, back in 2020, the city of Saskatoon created a target of 50% of new housing be infield development. Okay, And so what that means is... Um, building your neighborhood more densely. So in the city of Saskatoon, uh, one of their major projects is to create a bus rapid transit system. And and many cities uh, across the prairies have been doing that. Uh, Cities uh, that are from 300 to 600,000. I'm sure there's uh, dozens of parallels in the United States uh, that that have brought in these bus rapid transit corridors. And evolving a transit agency's mandate from a Canadian perspective would be not just building the transit within a corridor, it would be evolving to manage that land uh, so that uh, housing can be built at the same time as transit. So that way, when a BRT or another capital project opens, you right away you have ridership that's ready to use that service. Oh, yeah. So it helps to drive ridership and it helps to also connect people with their communities uh, more easily. These are great housing recommendations coming from CUDA. Do you have one more you'd like to share? Yeah, one more. It's a, it's a location-efficient mortgage. And so what that means is typically when a prospective home buyer goes to their bank to, um, to borrow to buy a house, 
the presumption is, is that homeowner also is buying a car or has a car, will buy a car. Okay. And so that occupies some amount of their credit. And a location-efficient mortgage, because it'll be within a, a, a transit-oriented community or development, it likely wouldn't have a parking spot. That way, the, your debt ratio would seem lower, and that would mean you'd be able to benefit perhaps from a, a slightly lower rate or be able to manage a slightly more expensive home because you wouldn't have payments associated uh, with a car and the, and the things that come with a car. Uh, and so we think that's another way to help, especially first-time home buyers, enter the market. What do you, what do, you do with the study now? Are you going to take it to your legislature? Can we talk about that? Yeah, certainly. It's uh, one of the messages that we've, that we've brought to our federal government. In fact, it was launched in Ottawa on Parliament Hill. So right where the House of Commons oh, meets, wow. we were happy to be there. You, like released this study there? We released the study right in the House of Commons, actually. Great. Yeah, it was uh, one funny thing was you booked the press conference room. And immediately before us was the federal minister of housing holding a press conference on the need to have more affordable housing. And uh, so it, to be. It, it was meant to be <laughs> in, on, on some level. You feel like you're making progress with it? Uh, are they are they taking these recommendations and considering them? We d- we do. We believe so. And, you know, we need to build about three and a half million additional homes by the year 2030. And that's just to maintain uh, affordability for for Canadians, but also we're welcoming about half a million new people to our country every year. And so we need homes and, uh, and jobs and opportunities. And so we're making headway on that front by bringing and welcoming half a million new Canadians. Traffic is also a problem. And so building these homes, we need to make sure that the neighborhoods where the homes are being built aren't designed for the single occupancy vehicle, okay. that we have transit for them on day one. That also means returning to the question of operating dollars. And so Canadian transit systems, we're at capacity in many of our cities, especially in the suburbs around our largest cities, like the greater Toronto area, the greater Montreal area. But the fare box revenue alone isn't isn't able to keep up with the growing need for transit and the need for more transit and options uh, around these big cities. And so federal government decision makers are listening. At the provincial level, they're listening too. And we work, of course, all the time with, with city councils across Canada that work really directly with transit authorities. Wow. These are great recommendations, Marco. So where can somebody find it's online at your website? It is. So it's online on the Canadian Urban Transit Association website, C-U-T-A. A-C-T-U dot C-A. So last question then is, what's coming? What do you see coming over the horizon, you know, for 2024 and beyond? Well, 2024, we think will be an exciting year. Uh, Ridership has been uh, returning across the country. We see a lot of new opportunities to engage with the public. Uh, We've opened a rail line around Montreal uh, that it's owned by uh, the public uh, pension fund uh, called the REM. And so when it's complete, there will be about 50 stations uh, creating a a loop around the greater Montreal area. That's very exciting and is coming online. There's exciting projects in, in each region of the country, the move towards electrification, greening our fleets, and finding ways through housing and densification so that collectively these measures can help to tackle uh, the 25% of of greenhouse gas emissions, or GHGs, uh, that Canada emits. And so that's one quarter. And if we can put a good dent into that, we'll be more on our way to meeting the climate targets that Canada has uh, set. Wow, that's great. Well, great talking to you today, Marco. Great conference. 
you've got wonderful transit in this country, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you very much, Paul. I'm with Mike Bismeyer. Mike is uh, Mike. Great to be with you here on the on the show floor of CUDA. Well, thanks, Paul. It's great to have the Transit Unplugged team up here in Canada. We're super proud of our annual fall conference. And on behalf of CUDA and the business members, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to walk around all the booths and uh, see all the new, uh, you know, exciting technology and to, just to get to know our members here in Canada. I hope uh, Edmonton's been treating you well. It has been a lot. You know, I think our listeners will recognize your voice from the times you talk about kindness and mentorship. You and I had the opportunity to do a big talk on the main stage on that this week. Yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been an exciting show. I mean, obviously, I'm heavily involved with the Young Emerging Leaders or Young Leaders Summit that we had ahead of CUDA. And uh, it was great to have you invited in to speak to those uh, leaders on Sunday. I had the opportunity to speak there as well. And then obviously rolling straight into our CUDA. It's been a busy time. And yeah, we did the opening session Monday morning, which was fantastic. A pleasure to be with you. But yeah, it's great to be in front of our peers here. It's exciting. And, and for those that don't know, this is only our second trade show in Canada since COVID and things got back together. So really good attendance. People are excited to be out and about and talk to their peers. You know, Mike, you are one of the uh, foremost advocates for kindness in our industry. And it's great to have you on our show talking about that. But I'm always struck by the story that you told with me on stage the other day about what got you really understanding the importance of kindness. Because you had a moment early in your life where someone was kind to you when you really needed it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, and for those, you know, I, I always advocate about kindness and I am passionate about it. It's sort of a trait that runs in my family. I'm very fortunate. But yeah, I mean, uh, and people have probably heard the story before and, and please do reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about it. I, I, I keynote on it very often, but I was bullied. I had a year of school that was, was really not pleasant for me. Uh, and it was a random act of kindness that just changed my perspective on understanding that people were noticing things weren't right. And it happened on a school bus, which is maybe apropos, it was on a, on a mode of transportation. Yeah. So, you know, and someone stepped up when I call as an upstander, you know, they, so, they reached out. Tell us that story a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was a young kid and, and you know, I was uh, a little bit overweight and my wonderful mom just kept saying, you know, you hadn't hit your growing spurt. But uh, what really what was happening to me is, you know, I, I had a bus stop that was a few blocks from my house that I'd go to to catch the bus. It was between grade eight and nine back in those days, junior, junior high school. You know, I just happened to have a person that, uh, you know, uh, decided to make my life not pleasant. And, uh, you know, each day I'd show up at that bus stop and, you know, he'd grab my lunch in front of others and tear it away from me, throw it in the garbage can, throw it on the floor. Just, what would he say to you? He'd when make fun that? and say, you know, you don't need a meal today. You're, you're fat yeah, enough. Terrible. Always, yeah, it's terrible, yeah. right? And, you know, we don't know. For a young kid, we, man, that's going to affect you. You know, we don't know the impact words have on people. And, you know, and I internalized it for quite a while. I didn't really tell my parents about it. And, uh, you know, I, but, but school was not pleasant. You know, I, I, I went in at different exits at the school school you know i didn't want to i did everything i could to not confront those guys which then takes away from the education that you're there yeah. to learn about in your concentration and i will say this as much as i had a bad year i can't imagine for kids nowadays like for me the saving grace is when the bell went it was over there was yeah. no communication no yeah. cell phones and now the cyberbullying oh i can't imagine yeah. yeah so so you got on the bus I got one on day. the bus one day and unbeknownst to me this other uh, other young student said to me hey you can sit with me and you know i, I didn't have a lot of trust of people at the time not outside of my group of friends and but I took the, I sat down and you know I, was, I literally we pulled away from the bus stop and he just leaned over and said you know I got your back and uh and I didn't know this student it was someone I didn't know but uh, uh I didn't know what he meant by that but he reached into his knapsack and, and, and had brought an extra lunch and you know first of all it was a massive random act of kindness really for someone else that was at a young age but they knew yeah. something wasn't right and, right and I probably told their parents and it did two things, right? It made me understand someone saw it. You know, I, I finally had my little breakdown with my parents, told them what was going on. But, you know, it just made me think of things different, right? And so actually, you know, I came up with this idea. 
I started bringing my sandwich in my pencil box and hiding it. And I started to bring a dummy lunch. And, uh, <laughs> and the bully threw it away a few times. Yeah. And, uh, and I wasn't reacting as much. Oh, you didn't give him the payback. He wanted. eventually moved on. And yeah. unfortunately to someone else. But for yeah. me... You know, and, and so, you but know, that's put in your heart. You did. know the importance of that, of right? Stepping up for someone or, yes. or, or pointing out the right thing or also not being afraid to talk about it. And that's really, I mean, communication is the key to everything we do in life. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, one of my early transit companies, I was fortunate to be on the, um, the original panel people that originated the United to, to End Bullying Foundation. Um, you know, we were in a town where there was a horrible bullying incident where, where a young lady took her life, Amanda Todd. It's a story that's viral and people can look that up. But our office was located in that community and had a big impact. We thought, like, what can we do to make a difference? And at that time, we were selling a product into the school bus world. And we started with a coloring contest and, and at, uh, having an opportunity for kids to win money for a grant at their school to spread kindness. And it just grew and grew. And when I left that company, you know, we were giving away $50,000 a year in grants, wow. uh, $1,000, $2,000 chunks. And I was so proud. I became the spokesperson. I'd go to the schools, give those yeah. out. But it's very empowering to have kids talk about it. Uh, and then I'd really like to thank uh, Paul. I know uh, we've we've had a great rapport and you've become a great mentor for me as well. Uh, but I do want to say it's it's great to finally get you on this side of the border. And, uh, you know, we don't want to let you go. We want to keep Canadianizing <laughs> you. I know you got to go to a hockey game last night, which is really exciting. And we brought him good luck, I yeah, think. Good luck. Good yeah, coach. and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to it. You know, for those that don't know, you know, we're, we, we have two conferences here. The next one for us is the spring in Halifax. Uh, that's our, you know, sort of our networking uh and session event, which is usually a fantastic Halifax, wonderful place. So on behalf of all the Canadians, uh, thanks for, for coming here. And on behalf of CUDA and the business members. Thank you, Mike. Hi, this is Tris Ossi, editor of the Transit Unplugged podcast. And thank you for listening to this week's show. Special thanks to our guests, Marco D'Angelo and our regular contributor, Mike Bismeyer. Now, coming up next week on the show, we're staying in Edmonton, where Paul is interviewing Eddie Robar, Deputy City Manager in Edmonton, and Carrie Houghton-McDonald, who now runs Edmonton Transit. They're going to be talking about hydrogen-powered buses. While you're listening to the show, if you could do us a favor and rate and review Transit Unplugged wherever you listen to podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. Rating and reviewing the show helps other people become part of our transit enthusiast community. If you have a question, comment, or would even like to be on the show, you can email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.